Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. It's good to be with you guys today. Um, Matt killed it last week. Matt had a great message on the Word, didn't he? Pastor Matt brought it. Great job. And uh, he, he set up where we're going. Uh, we want to take the next couple of weeks, and we just want to talk about the Word of God. That's where our heart is at. We want to get centered on the Word of God. We get set on the Word of God. We want to understand why the Word is so important, why it can't be something that we chew on one time a week. It's got to be our daily bread that we run to. And so today, my prayer is that we just stoke the fire in your heart. My prayer is that you already have conviction from the Holy Spirit going, man, I've got a Bible sitting there collecting dust. And my prayer is that that conviction will get you to get that thing out and start getting into it daily. Not just for information. Please hear me, church. You hear say this a lot. We're going to actually work through this in the weeks coming. Not just for information. Information that leads to revelation gets to transformation. Amen? And so basically, if you're just reading it to read it, it's not going to do you much good. If you read it asking the Lord to reveal things in your heart for his heart, things start to happen. We call that transformation. Because you're going to start loving what he loves and start hating what he hates. Like, I want to get away from that filthy stuff, man. I want to get into what his heart is. And so that's why we're after the Bible this weekend. And so I entitled the message, uh, Threshold Living. We started this actually about a month or two ago, and we talked about what it looks like to come into the Holy of Holies. When the temple curtain was torn, when Jesus died on the cross, and now we have access to God, he made a way where we have access into the Holy of Holies. There was this place that they would cross called the threshold. And when you crossed that threshold, you were leaving that old whatever life behind, or you were leaving like whatever was on the outside, and you were stepping into be and have an encounter with the God of the universe. And that changes things, amen? That changes things. And so that's why the Lord never leaves you the same, by the way. When he comes into you and his holiness comes into you, he's never looking to leave you the same. He's not like, hey, I found a house that I'm going to leave the same. He's like, I'm going to rearrange. I'm going to throw some stuff out. I'm going to move my own stuff in. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? And so, so when we call this threshold living, what we're saying is you've crossed a threshold now. You're done with your old life. What does my new life look like? And your new life is going to look like, we talk about worship, word, and prayer. We got into worship. What's a lifestyle of worship look like? We talked about prayer a couple of weeks ago. And now we're going to talk about men and women who are hungering for the word of God. Not because we have to, but because we see what the word of God does. We see how it changes things and how it moves our hearts. And so that's what threshold living looks like. So my brothers and I and my dad... We love uh, history. We were at Washington, D.C. last week. Missed you guys, but we were in D.C. It was awesome. I would never want to live in that city. Somebody say amen to that. It is a nightmare. God bless you if you're from there. There's an anointing on you. I mean that. It is a nightmare of a city, but the history and all the different sites that we were able to go to was absolutely awesome. It was, and the city is just kind of, I mean, there's, it's kind of grungy a little bit. There were rats running around. I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking, like, there were rats. <laughs> Like full-size rats running around, and, and uh, man, I'm just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I felt claustrophobic, but we went there to look at all the different sites, and it was beautiful. We went to the Holocaust uh, Museum, and I would love to say, man, that was my favorite one, but it's even hard to say it was my favorite one because it incited things in me. I was like angry, 
and man, just emotionally raw watching and seeing what I saw. But there was something very crazy. And, and here's the crazy thing. In front of us in the line waiting to get in, there was a Jewish family in front of us. And in front of them, there was an Iranian family. So you have Iran who does not like the Jews, right? You got Iran, you got Jews, and you got Kansans. And my dad talks to everybody, all right? <laughs> and I'm like, dear Lord, this could be a bad joke coming up right now. But I'm telling you, it was this beautiful thing, and they were talking, and you saw what happens when we're all unified under the same thing, right? Which is, that was an atrocity. So we go in, and almost on every floor of this Holocaust museum, there was some kind of a quote, or some kind of a language, or some kind of a verse, or some, something that was like, do not forget. Don't let this thing become something that we forget about. Don't let this thing become something, because it said these words. They said, one of our greatest fears is that we'll forget this atrocity happened, and down the road, years later, it will turn into a piece of propaganda. And I thought, how strange that is, because it's just like the more that we get away from something, the more that we lose the sensibilities for it and the sensitivities towards it. And then it becomes just something that we've heard about and becomes propaganda. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so then after we went to the Holocaust Museum, we went to um, the National Archives. We saw the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and, and the Bill of Rights. And it was, it was awesome. And I noted something about walking into that. Every room was filled with armed guards. Every room, and they're very particular. Don't touch, don't stand on the side. Every corner had somebody that was armed, ready to take you out if you messed up, right? And so we're in there, and I'm like, here's these pieces of paper, these documents that have been written on, in which we formulated our life around as Americans. We formulated, we're like, hey, this is what our life has kind of been built upon as Americans in our society are these things. And yet, we see so much value in those things that we're going to put an armed guard at every corner because this is how much we value those things. And of course, as a believer, I start to think, why don't we value the Word of God like that? Why don't we value the Word of God like that where he talks about, like, we're in this battle. Paul says, I fought the good fight. Like there's a fight and there's a battle to go, why don't I value the things of God like that? Where I've got an armed guard around my heart for the word of God not to be changed or manipulated. Where the word of God is not going to be taken out of context. The word of God is going to be switched over here because it fits a group of people better. Why don't I value that? So when I come into God's kingdom, in the same way that if you come to America, you're underneath that constitution, that declaration of independence. When I come into God's kingdom, I'm under his word. Why don't I value it like that? So I begin to think about today and how we're going to talk about the word and about how the wars were fought, the wars that we fought and, and the way that we have just adamantly defended this lifestyle as Americans and going, do we fight to defend this lifestyle of Christianity as well? Do we see it as something so valuable Going, Lord, I won't change your word, I won't give in, I won't succumb, I won't bend it, I won't, I won't knead it around a little bit, I won't try to even wrap it around. Your word is your word, I believe it to be truth. Do we do, we do that? And so specifically today, because um, we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks, talk about the word, I want to talk specifically about the value of the word and why I believe it is under attack um, uh, Colossians 2.7 says something really uh, interesting. It says, let your roots grow deep down in him. How do our roots grow deep down in him? Well, how do we know him? Somebody say the word. 
the Bible. And so I believe what he's saying is know his word, know his heart, know his character, you'll know more about him. And so when we're growing our roots down in, that's not this abstract thing. He's not just going like, yeah, just kind of know him a little bit more. It's like know his heart, know his word, know what he desires, know his joys, know what he doesn't like. Grow deep down in him. And so this is what our prayer is this morning, that our roots would grow deep down in him. Now, one of the things that that we find in our culture today is the word of God is under attack. The word of God is under attack. We see it all over the place. It's, it's under attack. Uh, people are going, it's not real. It was written, you know, thousands of years ago, and it's just a bunch of made-up stories, and it's not really God-breathed, and, and all of these different things. And so there's a, really a question about the validity of God's word. And, and, and there's a question about the validity of God's word. I mean, it's been answered a thousand times. Historically, things have been found, right? Literature, there's more scripture that has been found than any other, like, deep-seated piece of literature that, that we claim to be true, right? Like, more scripture has been found. And so, a buddy of mine sent me uh, a video of John Bevere. Some of you guys may know him. He, he speaks around the world. Uh, but he talks about the validity of scripture. So I want to set this day up around something that John Bevere brings. Will you show that video? 66 books of the Bible written over a 1,500-year time span. Do you understand how long 1,500 years is? If I go back 1,500 years from right now, we're at 515 A.D. There hasn't even been a British Empire yet. That's a long time ago. Okay? 1,500 years. 66 books are written by over 40 writers from three different continents in three different languages. We got kings, we got prisoners, we got soldiers, military men, we got shepherds, we got farmers, we got a physician, we got a tax collector who's a mafia guy. And you put all these guys' books together over 1,500 years. Now, many of them lived in different generations and don't know what the other guy wrote. You put them all together and you get a perfectly harmonized book. Do you know what that's like? That's like looking at 40 different writers over the last 1,500 years and saying, write a chapter of a novel, putting the whole thing together after 1,500 years and having it make any sense. But not only that, it gets even better. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's 39 books written over 1,100 years. And the last book of the Old Testament is written 400 years before Jesus is even born. I mean, go back 400 years from right now, there's no Atlanta Braves. You don't even have the Falcons yet. You don't have the United States. I mean, the Pilgrims just got on the boat. That's a long time. The last book was written 400 years before Jesus was even born. Now, you got these 39 books written by all these different authors for over 1,100 years, many of them living in different generations, not knowing what the other guy wrote. And you know what these guys did? They made predictions about the Messiah. Things like he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey, he'd be betrayed by a friend, he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be called out of Egypt, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, he'd be crucified. And they made over 300 predictions, with the last one being made 400 years before Jesus was even born. And do you know Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those predictions? So... There's a scientist named Dr. Peter Stoner who has since gone to heaven, but he was an expert in probability. Do you know what probability is? 
if I have a five-gallon paint bucket and I have nine white tennis balls and I have one yellow tennis ball and I shake them all up and I blindfold somebody and I say, reach in, grab one ball, the chance of him picking out that one yellow tennis ball is one in ten. Well, he's an expert in this. So Dr. Stoner wants to know what is the probability that anybody can fulfill these prophecies. So he doesn't do the work himself. He employs 600 science students from 12 different classes. And they spent years of research. Not years. They spent months of research. The the National American Scientific Council reviewed their work and said not only was their work accurate, but it was conservative. So what I'm about to share with you is conservative. Please remember that. So they said, all right, what are the chances that any human being from any human being in the world from the time of the birth of Christ until the end of the second millennium, 2,000 years, could fulfill just eight of the prophecies? So here's the eight prophecies they chose. Christ, Christ to be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah wrote that. Christ to be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah and Malachi in different generations wrote that. Christ to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah in a totally different generation wrote that. Christ to be betrayed by a friend. The psalmist in a completely different generation wrote that. And there's the rest of the eight. They took those eight prophecies. Said, what is the chance any human being over 2,000 years could fulfill those eight prophecies? You know what the, after all their calculations, you know what the chances are? One in ten to the 17th power. Now what in the world is that? 10 to the 17th is a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. I don't even know how to say that number. And I have an engineering degree. It's not gazillion billion. I got news for you. Okay, but I can illustrate that number. If I have that many silver dollars, I have no place on earth to store them. I have to just spread them out all over the ground. And if I do, if I have that many silver dollars and I spread them out all over the ground, I will cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep with those silver dollars. Now, gather them all in, mark one of the silver dollars, shuffle them all up, redistribute them all over Texas, blindfold a guy in Oklahoma, put him in a helicopter, start flying over Texas. Remember, it takes two days to drive through Texas. At any point, he can say, let down. Then he gets out of the helicopter, still blindfolded. The chances of him picking up that one silver dollar is one in 10 to the 17th power, which means that is the chances that any human being could have fulfilled eight of those prophecies, yet Jesus fulfilled all eight prophecies. So Dr. Stoner said, what about 16 prophecies? So they do all these hours of calculation, he and the 600 science students. And they say that the chances that any human being could have fulfilled 16 prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. That's a one with 45 zeros behind it. Don't even ask me to write that number down. Now, if I have that many silver dollars, I can't store them on the earth. It's too many. i got to make a big ball of silver dollars. i got to make a sphere of them, okay? You know how big this sphere would be? The diameter of that sphere would be 60 times the distance of the earth to the sun. If you want mileage, it's 5.5 billion miles. Now, mark one of those silver dollars. Shuffle them all up. Blindfold the guy, put him in a jet plane. It will take 400 years nonstop flight just to fly around the ball. At any point, he could say, let down. Now, remember, he might have to dig 2.75 billion miles into the center because the Mark one might be in the center. But the chances of him picking up that one silver dollar 
is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That is the chances that any human being could have fulfilled 16 of the prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled all 16. Mm. So can I blow your mind? Can I really blow your mind one yes, more time? Yes, blow, blow your mind, John. Somebody say it. So Dr. Stoner said, what about 48 prophecies? What are the chances anybody could fulfill 48 prophecies? So they do hours and hours of calculations. And you know what they found out? It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Now, how big is that number? I can't use the silver dollar. It's too big. I got to go to a smaller item. I got to go to an electron. Now, do you know how small an electron is? Let me just tell you. If you got a one-inch line of electrons, straight line, one inch, and I start counting tonight, and I don't go to sleep, I will count. If I count 250 per minute, it will take me 19 million years to count that one-inch line of electrons. Now, if I have that many electrons, 1 in 10 to the 157th power, i got to make a sphere of electrons. You know how big the sphere would be? It would be as far as man has ever seen into space. 13 billion light years. Now, mark one of those electrons. <laughs> Blindfold the guy, put him in a space shuttle, send him into space. At any point, he can say, stop. The chances of picking out that one marked electron is the chance that any human being could have fulfilled 48 of those prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled all four. Come on, amen. That's good. This guy from Oklahoma, this blind one, he's got a lot of work to do. That's all I'm saying. Uh, man, I, I wanted you to hear that because here Jesus has fulfilled 300 of them, 300 prophecies that are going to be written about him. And you saw the validity of somebody who could just fulfill eight of those, 16 of those. 48 of those things. And so I want to just share with you, we're not just dumb Christians believing something that has no validity to it. Amen? So much so that the national, he said it, the National American Society of Science is going, hey, most of those people aren't even faith-based, by the way. And they're going, hey, how you did this is accurate. We can't find any inaccuracy. You're probably really conservative, actually, on your numbers. So this is something that we deeply believe in when we talk about the Word of God. There's some deep-seated things when we're going, it's not just that it's valid. It's that this validity of Scripture is actually alive and active, right? It's the John 1, the Word became flesh. The Word came to dwell among us. This validity actually has a face and a name, and His name is Jesus, Amen. And so this is why this is important. It's the Hebrew deal where it says, that in Hebrews it says the word of God is alive and active. And so the validity of scripture is one thing. We know it's valid. We believe that with all of our hearts. Even science can back that up. But is it alive and active in you? And so here's what we see from scripture over and over and over. Paul and the disciples, which we've talked about before, were actually more concerned about believers falling into deception than anything else. They're going to talk about it over and over and over, that we would not be deceived, that we would not be deceived. Oh, that you would not be deceived. Why? Because we see in our society today how easy it is to be deceived, isn't it? So Paul was worried that the way that the word of God would come under attack is that people would just be deceived by things that would try to come in. And here's the deal. We see the word under attack today. The word is under attack to believe that it's truth. The word is under attack to try to manipulate it. It's under attack to believe that it's not that big of a deal. It's under attack to make it sound like it's just some good morals and values, but it's not the written word of God. It's under attack. And so how do you know what deception is unless you have a truth in which you stand on. So here's the disciples, and Paul and Jesus, by the way, they're contending that deception's coming, 
And here we are, a society that lives off relativism when it comes to truth. Truth is relative. Whatever your truth is, is your truth. How in the world are we going to fall into deception if there's no truth? And yet that's what they contended for. So either they were lying or we're living a lie. Amen? So there's a truth, and that truth is the word of God. And so Paul's going to tell us these words in Galatians 1.6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now here's what Paul's contending. I want to make sure we're in context here. There are believers that came in to know Jesus and found his freedom, but they're still bounding, uh, binding themselves up by law. They still believe that they've got to follow a rigorous law to have any kind of relationship with Jesus. And Paul goes, no, no, no. He came to set you free from that. Somebody say amen. amen. And then he says this. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. By the way, that's harsh language. You're like, accursed, is that that big of a deal? It's a big deal. And then he says, as we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now he's going to tell you why. He's going to give you insight in his heart. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. I don't care what man thinks about me. I don't care what man's opinions are about me. What I do care about, am I pleasing the Lord? And what pleases the Lord is his word and his gospel. Paul's not only saying don't preach a different gospel, but he's given the reason and laying out why people preach a different gospel. He's given the reason and he's laying out why we manipulate the gospel. He's given a reason and laying it out why we change scripture around, try to fit our context. And the reason is, is we care deeply about the approval of man over the approval of God. And so he's going to come back around later and he's going to say this in 2 Timothy 4.3. For this time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Do you know what endurance is? Endurance is when something is tough in your life, you're getting ready to run a race, you're getting ready to do some kind of activity, whatever it is, and you've got to have endurance. It's going to take something from you. It's going to be some sacrifice in your life. It's going to be some giving up of your time. It's going to be getting out there and really putting into practice what you know. Endurance is a big deal in the Christian life. And here's what Paul's saying. There will come a time when people are tired of enduring sound teaching. It's too hard on my life. Doesn't mesh well with what other people around me believe. And so they give up on the endurance of sound teaching. It doesn't say they gave up on the sound teaching. They just stopped running in the endurance of it. So because of that, they gave up on it. And he says these words, but having itching ears. Anybody have itching ears before? Anybody have an itch you couldn't scratch? And you're like, oh, right? Like you, it's the worst thing ever. Having itching ears, they're like, I don't really care, I don't have any endurance, just scratch me, scratch me. Having itching ears, listen, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own what? They're willing to change the word. They're willing to change the gospel. They're willing to change what God has said as long as it gives them a scratch to their itch. Because they don't have the endurance to handle sound teaching. Our society, church, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into its myths. As for you, 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We've said this, you guys know this, this, man, it's our language in here. The gospel is supposed to come in and cut and rub. It's supposed to, it's a double-edged sword, is it not? The word of God is alive and active, it's a double-edged sword, it's coming in, it's changing your life, it's not leaving you the same, it's, there's a transformation that's happening, there's something different. Who you were is not who you are now. That old life that you had, it's all of the scripture, that old life, you've taken off your old garments, you've put on the new garments of Christ. There's always an exchange when it comes to the gospel. And this is what rubs people wrong. They love parts of the gospel, but they don't really love the gospel. Why are we trying to change scripture so much? Why does the enemy, why does the enemy fear scripture so much? If it doesn't have power, why in the world is our world, I'm gonna prove it to you here in a moment, why is our world constantly trying to change the scripture if it doesn't have power in it? I'll tell you why, because it does have power. Isaiah 55, 11 gives us an answer. The prophet Isaiah speaks this from the Lord. So shall my word be that that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me what? It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed. It will accomplish and it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You're in here today, not because of your good merit. You're in here today loving Jesus, not because you somehow stumbled into something good. You're in here today because the gospel went out and succeeded in its purpose to get your heart. That's why you're here. Because Jesus sent out the gospel and somebody carried it. Grandma carried it. 98-year-old grandma teaching VBS, whatever. Or your mama carried it, or your daddy carried it, or your neighbor carried it, or somebody in your life caught you someday and spoke some truth of the gospel into you, and it came into your life and it changed you. Amen? Amen. It succeeded and it accomplished everything that it set out to succeed and accomplish. And Paul will reiterate this in Romans 1.16 when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, somebody say it, is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So what are we contending for? You keep saying, Aaron, that there's a, there's a tension. In the first church, there was tension against the gospel. They call it the Gnostic Gospels. There were other things that were written that were contrary to Jesus. It looked good, it spoke to people's hearts, it itched their tickling ears, their, their, it itched their itching ears, but it really was contrary to the things that Jesus taught and the disciples taught. It's why it didn't make it into scripture. So there are Gnostic Gospels that are not of God, but that people would read, and some in our culture even today, and it's building steam, are going, how do we know that's not really who Jesus was? Because it didn't align with anything that he said and all the documents that we found? Because it doesn't align with the heart of God and the way we've been transformed? Somebody say amen. amen. So they contended even back then with it. I wish I had more time on that. What about our day? How are we contending in our day? I've shared this briefly before, I, th I think a, a few months back. But, but I, I was reading some news articles of how the gospel's being manipulated, how the gospel's changing. Do you know in China right now, they're rewriting the Bible? In China, they're rewriting the Bible and they're giving it out for free. That doesn't sound like them. But they're giving the Bible out. It's just their version of the Bible. So I've shared this. Their scripture, they've changed it, they've manipulated it. They're trying to control people's hearts. So John, that would say, first John, or John, John 1, that would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. There it says, in the beginning was the government, and the government was God. 
Why? Because you have a lot of uneducated in some of these rural areas, and in these rural areas that are uneducated, what you see is simply this. All of these people that don't really know much, they're getting this, and they're opening it, and they're going, is this really who God is? He's the government? And it was their way to control them. Here's what we're finding missionaries saying, though, that are over in China. They don't believe a word of it. Why? Because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you And what they're reading is something that enslaves them more into the government. Do you see how God's word always wins? But this is how we're trying to manipulate scripture. There's an article, an excerpt that I was reading in one of these news sites on this Bible that they're doing. And the woman, the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember when everybody gathered around her ready to stone her? And Jesus says his famous words, draws in the sand, whatever those famous words were. And then he says... To those accusers, you who don't have sin, cast the first stone. They drop it. They all walk away. Jesus says, look up. Where are your accusers? I see none. He says, then neither do I accuse you. Go, for your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. They changed it. And here's what they say. And then Jesus picked up a stone and stoned her to death. Why? Because you, sh- you can't have, let anybody have freedom, right? So their way of control is going, so if you're bad, you're going to get stoned. Do you see how we manipulate things? What about in America? I was reading an article on this. There's a, cha- uh, a chat bot, <laughs> not good with this stuff, chat bot, AI stuff. And they're saying, hey, th- these are false things, they're not real. But there are some chat bots that are changing scripture to ones that fit our culture. So if you type in a scripture verse to a, a chat bot or an AI, it'll change it depending on how it views our culture. That doesn't sound like God's word, amen? Because he's against the culture and the way of going, my ways are different than your ways. My ways are better than your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And so if we don't think that this is on our front door, church, it is. So why is this important? My question is, do you know the word? I share this because if the word is under attack, always trying to be changed and manipulated and all these different versions of things are, are coming in, this is what David says. Here's how David contended with it. Psalm 119, he says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Look what he says. I have hidden your word where? I have hidden your word in my heart. I, ha- I have hidden your word in my heart. I don't hide your word on my bookshelf. Come on, amen. I've hidden your word. I know it's in my car somewhere. I saw it last week. I have hidden your word in my heart. Look what he says. That I might not sin against you. Praise, to, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Let me just ask this question. If the Bible was banned today, do you have the word hidden in your heart right now? If it was. If today they just like, all Bibles are banned. They came in and they rated it all and, you know, probability, whatever. Right? That wouldn't work well in America. But if they did, if they took them all, could you say, I have hidden your word in my heart. I know it. You take my Bible. I've got it right here. Can you recall it from those deep places? There's a a video we've showed you over the years. It's one of my favorite. It brings me to tears every single time I watch it. It's about the Chinese church, the underground Chinese church. And there's a group of them getting ready to receive a Bible. They open a suitcase up. I'm going to show you this video. They open this video up and they start to grab these Bibles and it just looks like chaos in the room, but you'll hear why and what they say here. Will you show that video?
Every time I watch that, it gets me because they're holding it and they're smelling it and they're holding it to their heart. And I just think, man, I neglect my word. Anybody neglect your word a little bit? And here's what she said. This is what we needed the most. Understand something about the Chinese underground church. They are growing like fire right now. There is a rapid fire growth. The more that they're persecuted, the more they go underground, the more they, they grow. The more the government tears down their churches and tries to rip families apart, the more that they grow. They are seeing God move on levels that, man, I don't know that we've even seen in America. They are moving on levels that is incredible. Book of Acts stuff. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing signs and wonders. They're seeing those things. And yet, here's their focus. They're not going, we need more signs and wonders. They go, this is what we needed was the word of God. They pray like crazy, man. They're missional in their communities. They serve like crazy. And yet there's something about them when they saw those Bibles and they grabbed hold of them. They go, this is what we needed the most. And I'm looking at the American church and going, we got 10 on our bookshelves. And we're going, do, in our hearts, we're going, yes, signs and wonders. And we're doing all these things. And we're going, but man, do we say this is what we needed the most? This right here. I look and I see that all of hell is waging war against you and I, knowing this truth. I can't tell you countless stories, countless stories of how many people have shared how a Bible got in their hands and that's how they got to know Christ and that's how they got saved. Dark places, people in dark places. Man, so many people in the prison says, Gideon guy comes in, puts a Bible in a jail cell. Guy grabs it, sees the chains being broke off. The front picture's chains being broke. Reads his Bible, gets absolutely wrecked by the love of God, gives his life to Christ. Story like this, after story like this, after story, people in deep depression and deep darkness going, I don't know, I was at the end of my rope and I saw a Bible and I grabbed it and I opened it and the word of God hit me different and changed my life and it wrecked me. And here we are, man, just a generation away from somebody trying to change it all. Do we know the word of God and is it hidden in our heart? Because what the disciples were concerned about more than anything else is that we would be deceived and that many would fall away from the truth. Last thing, real quickly, there was, there was this thing that I noted on the Declaration of Independence. It's something that we all love to live our life by. Life, liberty, there you are. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's like the framework of what we know. It's one of the most quoted, most famous things from the whole Declaration of Independence is that we have life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But long before that was ever given to us, Jesus breathed his word and says, I am your life. 
I am your liberty. I am your happiness and your joy. Long before that. And so as I'm reading that, that Declaration of Independence, they had some copies by it where you kind of read through the language of it. I'm like, Lord, long before this was ever written into our American hearts, you breathed this into our hearts as men and women of Christ, that we are a part of a different kingdom than this kingdom. You're the one who gave us life. This is what Scripture says. Jesus is preaching to a crowd. They don't like everything that he's saying. They start to disperse. What he was saying was too hard. They couldn't endure his teaching. But his disciples, he comes to them. He says, you're going to leave me too? And in John 6, 68, they said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You carry life. And we have believed and we have come to know. You carry life. We've heard the life that, you, that, you've, that you've spoken. We believe you and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. All through scripture, God says about Jesus in the book of Acts, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Satan is the author of death, right? He says the wages of sin is death. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. We see in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. We see in Colossians 3 through 4, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Church, listen, he is not your guide in life. He is not your principle of life, and he is absolutely not a part of your life. He is your life. Do you see what we've done, though, in our culture? He's a good principle in my life. God's my guide. He's not your guide. He's your life. He's a part of my life. No, he's not. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come in and say, let me have a part of you. That's not his game. This language gets us in trouble because somehow we believe that we get to keep our life. Scripture's pretty darn clear. If you want to save your life, if you want to keep your life, you'll what? You'll lose it. This is why we need the word because it's under attack. We've changed it to try to fit our culture. We've changed it to try to fit our hearts. We've changed it to try to fit our own mindsets of how we view life. We've changed it all. And God's going, you need my word now more than ever before. People of faith and people that aren't of faith, by the way, they love things about the Bible. People say all the time, don't you know how much the Bible talks about love and caring people? I do, man. I know how much the Bible talks about love. I love that the Bible talks about love. Greater love has none than this than somebody who would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, and that is who you are and that's what I've done. I'm like, that's awesome. Hey, did you know the Bible talks about other things? Talks about your identity, talks about sexuality, talks about obedience, talks about sacrifice, talks about surrender. How do you like those parts? I don't like those parts. And there's our problem. We love the parts we love. We discard the parts that we don't. And we're in a mess. This is why all hell is waging war against it. You got life and you got freedom. John 8 31 and 32, it's one of our favorite ones. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my what? If you abide in my word. Everybody wants freedom. Everybody's like, freedom, we're believers, freedom. It was for freedom that Christ came and set us free. Amen. I believe that, love that. We roar with that in this house, by the way. I love that. But here's what he says. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Be careful that we're not trading a, 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 a kind of freedom that's not really the freedom of the Lord, a counterfeit freedom. Be careful. 
You will abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then finally, what about pursuit of happiness? Well, Jesus, he says, I'm not so worried about your happiness, but I will give you joy. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of, we have life, we have liberty, and we have the pursuit of his joy. And we don't have to change the word to get it. Amen, church? All right, here's what I'm going to do. Worship team coming up. I want you to pray this over one another. I'm going to challenge you over the next couple of weeks. I have some things I'm going to give you next week. Challenge you in your word life. We're going to talk about why it's important, how to love the word, what does that look like. But today, you're going to get back into your prayer groups. <laughs> All right, good job. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 9. They call this the Shema. So that if you grew up in Israel, you learned this. If you were a Jewish kid, you learned this. It was a part of your rhythm of life. This is something that you would learn in your family. You know it well. Hear, O Israel, hear, o Israel the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be as... They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We say it all the time. Do you think that he really wanted you to know these words? I mean, you're supposed to put them right. I mean, that's crazy. He wants you to know them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in our groups. Three things. Lord, help me to know your love. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love you, Lord. Help me to know your word. I don't want to neglect your word. I want to be like that Chinese underground church that says, this is what I needed. This is what I needed the most. Not breakfast, not lunch, not dinner. This is what I needed the most was your word. Teach me to love your word. Teach me to love your word. So I want to know his word. I want to love the Lord. And then here's the deal. What good is it if you've got something of infinite value that you don't give to other people? I want to know your love. I want to love you, God. I want to know your word. I want to give it to other people. Can you guys pray that in your groups? Okay. That's what we say. Okay, yeah. So let's stand up. Get in your groups. Pray those three things. Help us to love you, Lord. Help us to know your word. Help us to teach it to others. You got two minutes. Here we go. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day to day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.